0: Welcome to the latest Data Protection Tea Break. In this episode, we're discussing Project Bijou, our social change initiative, six months on from its launch. The project is all about creating positive cultural change around how personal data is treated and generally our attitudes to all things data. The idea is to remind people that personal data is about them, it's information about us. So for us at the ODPA, focusing on the people at the heart of that data is the route to caring for data properly. Today, Data Protection Commissioner for the Bailiwick of Guernsey, Emma Martins, and Chief Operating Officer Tim Loveridge, and me, Kirsty Bugle of the Office of the Data Protection Authority, are discussing how changing our attitudes and how we think about personal data works hand-in-hand with the law. Hello, and thank you for joining us. In the past, most of our podcasts have been fairly formal as we've been discussing a process or imparting information. This episode is going to be a bit different. Around the table today, we have three people coming from very different backgrounds, but they all work together and believe passionately in ensuring people's personal data and the rights we have as individuals are protected. We've seen the world change and we have children living in a much more connected world to the one we grew up in. We've seen the damage that social media can do and we've seen the whistleblowers speaking out and lifting the lid on some of what's going on in these big tech companies. While we need the laws and we need the ability to enforce them, it's when we all take responsibility for our actions and do what's right and ethical first, then we can really make a difference to how data is cared for and prevent harm. Emma and Tim, thank you very much for joining me today. So should we start with Project Bijou and just think about where the origins of that came from and why we started it. Thanks, Kirsty. It's great to be here with the two of you.
1: Um, Bijou is something close to all of our hearts, I think, in the office. And at the risk of oversimplifying something, um, including this, it started from a conversation. And the sense that conversations with certain individuals can be hugely powerful and can lead to a change almost complete change in the way that you look at something understand something and engage with something and the sense that when you have those conversations we remember them and they can lead to meaningful change and meaningful outcomes and we thought in the office i think it's fair i'm sure tim will come along in a moment to to elaborate on this but we had a bit of a chat about it in the office and thought well You know, we sit here with this very weighty piece of legislation with lots and lots of sections to it and and, and elements of it which are often unfathomable, full of legal language. But the concept of the protection of data is actually simple. It's treating people with dignity and with respect. And if we can encourage some of those conversations to be had, that's where real change will happen. The law underpins it. But something as simple as a a chat with somebody that you respect and that you trust that makes you look at something a little bit differently can really be a trigger for extraordinary change. So that was the starting point. And I think what was so lovely about Bijou is is all the different voices we've had uh, involved adding and including themselves in that conversation, because I I feel so strongly this is not just a question of the regulator stepping in and, and finding people and taking enforcement action. And there is always a part to be played by regulators in doing that. But first and foremost, we want to prevent things from happening that have bad consequences for people. And the question for us as a regulator and us as a community and a society is how can we do that well?
0: Yeah, and it's when we start talking about things that people are inspired to to change. and, And actually, sometimes we don't necessarily think about the things we're doing and the influence that it has. So perhaps by listening to some of the contributors to Bijou people might realise that actually what they're doing that might just seem like a tick box and I have to do this because it's my job actually they might be able to see the bigger picture and how meaningful it is how important it is because what we're doing is all about people it's not just about getting them to fill in a form and follow a procedure it's people that we're trying to look after.
2: Absolutely because I was just thinking as listening to to Emma and about um, where Bijou started and and when I listened back on it, it was it, there was that combination of both the real influences. You know, it, we we live in a time of influ- influencers and uh, and those people have got such influence on uh, on this world, and um, and and the stories that they have to tell as well. And uh, you know, you go back and you listen again a year later, and it's still really profound stuff that's on there. And and I guess what I would like to see is is that being the, the very early foundation for something we just build on so that hopefully that influence can, can be carried across and, and people really start to, to take notice of this type of stuff and, and think about being accountable for it, which I think is very important. But also to understand that I, I always worry that... The disassociation between uh, data protection and technology, so the big tech giants and the data they store about us and things. And I think that it runs much deeper than that. I think it's it's much more about us as individuals being accountable for our actions and understanding the repercussions of those actions. And, and hopefully what b has really started to do is, is to, to make people sit up and think a bit about it, really. That's the, that's the hope in a way. Mm.
0: We want to start those conversations, don't we? Because, Absolutely, yeah. Um, obviously, we do have contact with people who work with personal data as their job, and they're aware of us, they know about us, and they know their duties. But it's about getting them to understand the reason for those duties, and actually the importance of where it all began and the the people behind it that matter. It's
1: I mean, it's something that I'm pretty obsessed with, and you'll all know in the office that I am, is that the sense of we have to understand why we're doing this. Uh, we can get very, very wrapped up in the detail of compliance um, and in tick box approaches to things. And there's a danger that data protection is seen as something that happens when you just sit at a desk and you've got to get a, a, you know tasks done. But actually, there's nothing that we any of us do every day, every second of every day, that doesn't involve data. And that matters. So when we're talking about data, I asked a group of people recently, um, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the words data protection? And I think we have to be honest that the the thing that comes to mind is either ones and zeros, big shiny servers sitting somewhere, uh, red tape or unfathomable legal language. And I think if I had one... Aim in all of this, and Bijou is a part of it, is that when people think of data protection, what comes to mind are pictures of human beings, the pictures of themselves, their families, their loved ones, their work colleagues, because our data is us and you can't separate the two. So, how you treat data is how you treat people. And again, I I don't want to oversimplify it, but if that's your starting point, then the decisions that you make, the choices that you make and don't make, indeed, um, matter because they impact an individual or group of individuals. And if that's your starting point, I just think that fundamentally, we're going to get much better outcomes for each other and for our community. Sorry, I think
2: because I, think I completely agree with you and I, and I wonder whether it's because we've been around this environment for the last few years i mean you know getting on for of four years now i've been working with the data protection authority and uh, and and you become you just become increasingly aware that actually you've got this term data on one side but actually like emma says it's your identity we're talking about that's been constructed or deconstructed into different terminology to actually define who you are and once you start to pick that apart you realize that the word data is part of your identity you start to realize how much impact it can have on the individual as well and the people around them. And you and you kind of have to do that. You have to, you know, really start to think it's not just about ones and zeros. It's not just about a big database somewhere. It's not just about, you know, Facebook or Google or all the big tech giants. It's so much more than that. And it and it seeing some of the cases that we have to deal with and some of the work that we 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 see day in, day out, it's always at a much lower level than that. It's about, you know, people acting appropriately, being accountable for their actions, you know, worrying about or being Taking responsibility for the actions of others and making sure that that's all part and parcel of what they think, the the thought process they go through when they're dealing with this stuff. Because it's digital, right? That's another very important part of this is so much that we do is in the digital world now. And so therefore data equals identity, I Mm. suppose.
0: And as you mentioned, it's when we get the cases come in and things have gone wrong. That's when it really brings home to people how important looking after data is, because it's those harms that can't be undone isn't it that's when you know because obviously we want to stop those harms being caused and unfortunately the reality and the um the penny doesn't really drop for people often until they see the result of a harm
1: i think that's one of the great joys of working in a small jurisdiction is that we really understand that I think there's there, there's so many stories that you hear about data that um, talk about global companies and international companies. And there's a danger that we just feel distanced from that and a stranger to it, that it doesn't really affect us. It really, really does. Uh, but being in a smaller jurisdiction, we're possibly even more acutely aware of the harms because we know the community. And when one person is affected or a group of people, we often know who they are. We certainly know of them. So our sense of harm, I think, is, is heightened because of that and I think that we've translated that into a real laser focus on preventing the harm because surely that's got to be better than picking up the pieces. And I think that When we look at data harms, again, if you look at it as ones and zeros and and spreadsheets, then you don't understand harm in its real sense. When you look at it as people, harming people, human beings, individuals, then you start to understand and look at risk in a different way, that some of these risks are just not worth taking because they have real consequences. And and harms done can be very, very difficult to undo, especially in a small community where where data protection and data privacy issues really do matter.
0: Mm. Because once harm has been done to a reputation, even if that, you know, whatever data it was that caused that harm wasn't true, you can't unknow something. You can't so, just tell people, just forget that you heard that, forget that you read that, forget that you saw that. Because even if it wasn't true, once you've seen it, it's there, isn't it? And also
2: there's human nature about the whole no smoke without fire type stuff that goes on as well. And and I I, I do agree that small communities, I guess, are more susceptible to this in many ways um, you know people's reputation can be ruined and uh, and very quickly and that's ultimately something that you, you can't undo
1: and I think that as well that the collection of, of data about us is extending so rapidly it's now you know biometric information it's no longer just your name and your phone number or your buying habits it's part of you your fingerprint or your iris scan. Um so it, when that data are compromised, it's the very human being themselves are compromised, and you can't change your fingerprint like you can change your password so the long term impact of some of these things, if they go wrong uh, again very, very significant, regardless of the size of community and uh, I heard uh, someone talk recently about uh, the, the what law was for and how law wasn't really for about individuals, it was about society and I just thought that was an utterly extraordinary thing to say because law is there for for every individual regardless of where you live, regardless of the size of your community. Just because we live in a small community doesn't mean that our needs and our harms are any less uh, impactive than, than on larger communities. So first and foremost, we want this conversation to be more than a conversation with, within the regulator's office uh, about finding and about enforcing. We want this to be a collaborative community, positive conversation about the very real impact all of us can have, regardless of whether we work in an environment where data protection is part of your job title or not. But every single human being uh, in this bailiwick, uh, there is data collected all the time and the decisions that you make and don't make about who you give your data to uh, have real world consequences.
0: Mm. That's quite a key one, isn't it, actually about that who you give your data to as well, particularly if we're looking at the younger generation. I think even now that they are so internet aware, and obviously they are digital natives, and they understand the technology probably probably better than we do. But they don't often realise the risk that they're putting themselves at when they just blatantly share information and images and all sorts. They know. They know that when they put an image on their Snapchat or whether that they don't have it they don't own it anymore that it's owned by somebody else but they can't seem to make that connection they're just like well that's fine I know that
2: yeah, it's kind of like a blind trust that you know the person the recipient the collector of data will just do the right thing mm. but so many times we've seen that that's not the case at all you know because actually the the storer of the data is there for commercial reasons and then and actually it's so anonymized and depersonalized that they're, they're never going to worry about the individual because they're working at such scale compared to you know somebody's life that happens to be on that platform.
1: And I think it's also the case I mean at, at the risk of sounding patronising, I really don't mean it to be that I, I remember a long time ago when I was young your understanding of risk to yourself is very different than when you're an adult so I think that to a large degree we want to empower the community to make good decisions and to be uh, properly informed about this whole area but there is a limit, especially when it comes to young people I think that that that's where you really do need the state to step in and that's why this is not just a question of uh, just legislation or just self regulation, just community awareness it's a combination because I do think that there are certain protections that especially young people should have in law that are not enough at the minute. Um, And we're seeing some huge harms. And and I'm afraid to say that I think in generations to come, we will look back at this generation, at ourselves, and say, why didn't we do more? Um, So there's an awful lot to to talk about in that space. But I think the harms we're seeing are global. And I think that needs a global response. But you're right that, that young people are exposed to the most extraordinary data collection and manipulation. And I think we're only just starting to understand the harms uh, for those first, and you know we're doing an awful lot of work here to support young people. But I, but I think that it's a much wider, broader conversation that we need to have.
2: I just wanted to, to touch on the, the on the risk appetite stuff that you, was, you were saying about because you know as a general statement, I would say that young people are more prepared to take risks than old people. As, as you get older, your risk appetite lessens, right? And uh, and I, and and I think that in times gone by, particularly if a young person takes a risk and it's a physical risk and they end up breaking their leg, they heal quickly. And that's but they know they understand they're going to heal quickly, but they're prepared to try and see you know go skiing, go skateboarding, or do whatever you want to do. But actually. I think that the long-term repercussions of the risk they're taking now are so different from breaking your leg. It's not going to heal in six weeks' time. It's going to be there for the rest of your life. And so we have to put some kind of safeguards in place to make sure that they don't have these, these long-term impacts on ruining people's lives. Uh, otherwise, because if we don't do it, who's going to do it, you know? You're collecting, you're collecting stuff forever. It's mm. never going to go away.
0: That's the thing, isn't it? It's hard to try to get somebody to understand the future risk Yeah, exactly. Of what they're doing. And also the fact that these places and people and platforms they're sharing information with, they are global, they're international. There is no, it's not just like you've told a few friends something and it might get spread about a bit. This information that you're sharing is on a global platform and can be used and is used and generates income. And it's yeah. And, need, and it influences
2: governments, right? And it's incredible how, if you take, if you collate all that data together, I mean, it's so influential. It changes, you know, the way that we conduct ourselves on the planet. All of us.
1: I think it's certainly the case that those business models are based on exploitation and profit of data. And we've got to ask ourselves: Is that what we want? The those interactions to be based on? If it's, if especially if it's children. Should those not be more about building a, a well-balanced, emotionally stable and secure generation rather than let's make as much money as we can out of them? So I think we've got some really sort of existential questions to ask ourselves as a global community, um, which is tricky. They're, they're not easy questions. And the, and the danger is that we are just continuing down this trajectory without any pausing, without any opportunity or giving ourselves any opportunity to say, is this where we want to be going? And I think technology has a habit uh, in the last few decades of just taking us to somewhere where we haven't decided we want to go simply because it can. The question may be not, well, I think it should be, is not whether it can do it, it's whether we want it to. Um, so I think, again, you know, coming back to especially children, which we all feel very strongly about, the, the awareness is is key and that they understand when they're being asked to give information that they have some power uh, in that, but I think it goes way beyond that to to something really fundamental that's gone wrong with with the way that the legislation is framed and that globally as a community we look out for them.
0: And the thing is that the, often the regulation comes after.
2: Yeah, yeah. So after it's happened. Yeah,
0: yeah. Only once all these things start to happen, technology advances. You know, like fast cars, all these you know airplanes. Regulation came after. Once these things are already out there in the world, regulation only came later. You should try and make them safe after the event. Yeah, I mean, that
1: tends to be the way that we act, uh, especially in democracies, that we start to understand potential for harm better. And then we start to draft legislation. Now, anybody that's been involved in drafting legislation will know that that is not a quick process and if you're dealing with a with an issue that takes years to come to fruition then, then maybe you have that time but i think in the in the digital era we just don't have that time so that's why we need to have the conversation beyond law and that's why you know we have um, excellence through ethics as our our banner essentially, our, as 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 a, the, the starting point of everything we do that's not just frivolous that's because that's where we start from because the law it's a good piece of legislation but it's not perfect It's as future-proof as they could make it. It's very principles-based, but it's not perfect. And we have to think beyond the legislation and the wording of the legislation to how we want to just treat each other uh, as individuals because technology is moving so, so fast. We just can't keep up with it if you just look solely to law. And the irony is that in any other area of our lives... We don't look to law all the time. You know, I don't I don't not steal your wallet from your bag, Kirsty, here today because I'm thinking about the legislation that tells me not to. I'm thinking about not doing that because I just wouldn't do that to someone I like. Mm. Um, and that's what we need to move to, which is a very values-driven conversation, is that we want to treat, I want to treat that piece of information well because it represents a human being. The legislation supports me in that. Um, and will pick me up on it if I don't do it. But
0: first and foremost, I do that because I'm a decent human being. It's often, I think, because it's intangible, isn't it? Because we can't see the data. Yeah, it's not
2: a tick box, is it? It's got to be something much more, yeah, like you said, intangible. I, d- I, just wanted to, I just wanted to go back to the the, the rights of the child because I'm fascinated by that as well. Um, I, I think there's two things there. You've got The pace of change, which I completely agree with, is that legislation can't possibly hope to keep up with the pace of change, particularly in the digital um, era. And uh, and so we've just got to try and do the best we can with that. But it can't be the, the only point of reference. You've got to go back and look at the horizon scanning, haven't you, and look at what's like to be around the corner, regardless of what the legislation is, what legislation is available to us to deal with it. And then that kind of draws me back towards the children, because they're, you know, UNICEF is brilliant, the rights of the child. Um, but also some of the activities you're seeing around uh, what, um, different jurisdictions are doing around children I think are wonderful. And I, I mean, I, I think about Finland with the, you know, the fake news stuff that was going on. And if anybody gets a chance to Google this, I highly recommend it because it's wonderful. But what they, they've they said is I think that, that Finland is under a lot of pressure from Russia uh, about a lot of fake news that's being sent out. So that, so it's creating, you know... um it's just stuff that you don't necessarily have to. You de- definitely can't believe in. And so what they're doing is encouraging, with the edu- within the education system, kids to go out and check three points of reference first before they believe a piece of news. And that feels so tied into data protection as well. It's you know not just what you're receiving, but what you're giving out is so fundamental. And the, and the and children need to learn about this and all and all the safeguards that should be in place around them before they go out into the big bad world and start you know giving away their data, giving away their identity. So so. I, you know, I'm very supportive of the idea of doing anything we can to encourage kids to be very aware of exactly what's going on in the world.
1: That sense of, sort of creativity around getting the messaging through, I just think is really exciting. That, and you know, equally, we're seeing yeah, movies being released on various platforms about this whole area. So those, from those fantastic projects in Finland that Tim mentioned, and I. have Highly recommend. We we may put a link up if yeah, we can we, on that because yeah. it's really worth having a little look at. To the fact that you can watch a, a movie, and I think if you'd said to me five years ago they'll make a, a, a at least two or three movies about this issue about data and data protection, I would have laughed. But it's so sort of central now to our conversations about ourselves and our culture, and that that's where where real change starts. and um, So we need to keep that momentum up because it needs to be a conversation not just in lawyer's office, not just in regulator's office, but across the community. And, and that's where I think, a bit like you've seen on the environment, you know, you haven't seen conversations around protecting our world that are driven by law. They're driven by human conversations and a human sense that we need to make change. And I think that's just inspiring, really, for us to look at in our world and say, right, where do we, how do we make that change? And it's not about undermining the legislation. The legislation is so important and underpins it. But we need to have a broader conversation. And that's where the exciting and real change can happen to get better outcomes and to reduce harms, which is what we are obsessed with, if I may say.
0: (laughs) We've talked before, because like you mentioned about the environment, we've talked before about a sphere of influence as well. So For me, the environment um, analogy has always been really pertinent because, obviously, I can't go and stop them cutting down rainforests in the Amazon, but I can make small choices. And the more small choices I make that might help, and then I can influence my family, and then I can start to influence other people around me. And I think the same thing applies here with how we think about data. So our sphere of influence may be small, but we can pass on that sphere of influence. And obviously, as the regulator, our sphere of influence in the Bailiwick is bigger. And then it, it's just that domino effect, isn't it? And of starting to cr- increase our sphere of influence. Well,
2: is all about that. I mean, you know, th- that sphere grew significantly. I was going to say exponentially, you know, um, when we invited all the... Probably the, you know some of the world's leading experts on data protection and really significant influencers to come and talk to us about it and uh, and, and they, they're really inspirational videos and so, so, and going back to the stories as well the, the storytelling was wonderful and so I, I just think that we need to carry on that because we need to increase that sphere of influence make sure they start to join up with other people's spheres, spheres. Mm-hmm. and uh, you know then that's, that's how we get that message across really.
1: I think that the whole sphere of influence is so interesting because, you know, we're a small regulator, we're a small jurisdiction, and if you're a data protection officer in in Guernsey, you're not going to be dealing with multi-million pound organisations on the whole, so we're not, we don't work for the Facebooks and Twitters and Googles of this world, Um, and I, you know, sit at conferences with huge regulators that really have an an incredible amount of power, it's easy to feel diminished in the the face of either another big employer, if you're a DPO working for a small organisation, or in the face of very large regulators. But I think we need to stop thinking like that and saying that our sphere of influence may be smaller than theirs, but we fill it up the maximum we possibly can. We say, right, that's our sphere. That's how we're going to fill it. And we're going to do everything we can to make that a possible. Because If it's an individual affected in Guernsey or an individual affected somewhere else in the world, that's still an individual, and they still matter. So I don't think there's anybody, however small your role is, you matter, and what you do matters. And I think again, once we you know going back to the environment, we we can't change the world, but we can be part of a movement that does, and that's our aim is to start that movement and not to lead and say we have all the answers. We, ha- we have everything at our disposal, we can fix this, is to say, listen, we're in this together. We don't want to patronise you by telling you what you think we think your choices should be, but we want to give you the information to make good choices, and we want to support you in making those choices. So that's, that's the aim, and that's what gives you a real sense of a collaborative approach that other voices beyond our own... I mean, we've got some fabulous voices in this organisation but a sense that this is a community effort. So we want to expand that conversation and a ripple effect. And if anyone hasn't had a chance to look at the Origins of Beeja, a little video about why we've called it that, the sense of this, I recommend it, but the sense of this ripple effect that once you start that, those little conversations, those little moments of communication where people really start to engage with the why this matters, as opposed to the tick box they think comes with it, that's, that's when it gets exciting.
0: And people mustn't underestimate, like we've been trying to say, their importance in this. You know, so you might just work part-time in an office and your job is just to I don't know, input the data into something or other. It might not seem like a big thing, but actually it's so important. And if they can realise their their worth and the role they play. And anything you know, just every voice matters, doesn't it? And those conversations round the Tea, coffee in the morning or whatever that that's what's so important just for people to start talking about it and to realize the part that they all play absolutely and I think if, if you if you look at data as an asset because
1: it is it's it's the most valuable non-consumable asset an organization will own so if you think about other more tangible assets so if it was a, a bunch of coins or banknotes We'd really look after it, huh? But because data is sort of seen as ephemeral. But if you think about it, everybody in the organization has some sort of access. So hierarchy doesn't matter. The risk is the same. And in fact, the people, you know, you're front facing people. This is much about customer and frontline service, because as I said, this is not data, this is people. So how you treat people, what is your organizational culture? What is the default? Are they annoying? You want to get rid of them. Or are they part of a wider conversation that you want to have with them and get their respect and get their trust? And to me, that's a no-brainer. If you speak to businesses small and large, that that sense of trust and and need for their clients to believe in them and trust them is, is, is really, really important. And this is so wrapped up in questions of trust and integrity, I think, as well.
0: I think also it's maybe worth for people imagining because... We treat people very differently when we're with them in person to maybe how we would on the phone or just in an email conversation. I think it's the same with data, because if you had the person in front of you and what you wanted to do to their data, you were going to actually physically do it to them. It would change what you thought about that massively. I mean, I think it's probably, we obviously
1: won't give any detail, but uh, Tim, I I remember you saying to me quite recently that a a real defining moment for you is when you came face-to-face with a complainant. Um, and suddenly the, the information that you see on our systems and, and you know, the other case handling systems becomes a human being. That's a profound moment, and we must never, ever, as an organisation, lose sight of that. However trivial that we may think that person's complaint is, to them it could be everything, and you're absolutely right. And that's, again, why working in a small community is so powerful for us as a regulator, because we often get to eyeball those people who are affected which I think in larger jurisdictions they possibly don't have the opportunity to do that in the same way but what that does is it builds in a real sense of we do this from a from a from a values base respecting that individual as opposed to just pushing pushing them through a complaint system to try and get our stats up or down or whatever it may be it's a terribly real uh, communication and relationship that we have with everybody um, but especially those who have feel who feel that they've been harmed. And I think it's probably fair to say that's <coughs> an
2: accent. Yeah, I, I, I was just to... I mean, it became very real for me. I, it, I think it's always been quite real, but the... Um, because I, I'm not normally a frontline worker as such, and I'm not, not a case of compliance officer, um, but just because of circumstances, um, you know, it, it was important for me to, to go and meet a, a complainant. Somebody needs to come into the office and, and have a chat with us about a certain uh, issue that they were facing. And um, and it had a really profound effect on me. It's you know this did become very very real. This person was was suffering, and uh, and through um, the way they've been treated and the way their data have been treated, and um, you know and as you explore that, you know spending an hour and a half with somebody who's just in a very very bad place because of you know the set of circumstances and the way other people have treat, treated them became. Um, just just seminal for me, really. So, and it's something I think about a great deal now. And I talk about it a lot, don't I? So it's uh, it's always my kind of point of reference. So, and I, and, I, and I'd like other people to start thinking like that as well. Is is it real? And hopefully it will never happen to you. But when it does, it hurts. And uh, you need to understand. This is everybody.
0: I think this is where bijou does come in, doesn't it? That whole. Just sharing information, sharing, you know, and also sharing responsibility. So you know, the buck doesn't stop with whoever's in charge of an organisation. Everybody has an equal responsibility. And even as individuals, if we don't think we work with data, we know information and things about people all the time. And obviously, legislation can't change what I tell somebody about somebody else. But it's that just moral standpoint.
2: Yeah, that whole injustice thing, isn't it? So you, it's. One of the beats you contributed, I think her phrase was, don't be a git, which was just, you know, you think back on it, you go, just be a decent human being and just respect other people because it's so important. And it's not just you've ticked a box and moved on because that's impacted somebody. And you have to bear that in mind. Just have that at the back of of your head when you're doing this stuff, when you're doing your work, when you're collecting so much information about so many people. There are real humans behind all that. And those real humans often come in and they they talk to us because they have to, because they've got no other place to go.
0: I'm just thinking one of the things obviously we've done in the school programme is to ask children to imagine their data as a favourite toy. Um, And obviously one of the slogans is like care for your bear, but also think about who you're going to share your bear with. And just trying to make people visualise, so obviously that's very simplistic for children, but actually, like you're saying, for you, having met that person who has been harmed through their misuse of their data, now when you're looking at data, and you're you're thinking of that person, so it's humanised it for you. So obviously for children, I've had to make it simple, make them think about a toy, but one of the biggest messages, I think, from us to everybody listening is to humanise that data, isn't it? To just remember that person.
1: Yeah, our, our little strap line is human at the heart of, of everything that we do, um, and it's not to say. I mean, I, one of the things I want to emphasise here, this is not to say that you know there isn't a difficult and complex law to grapple with if you're a compliance or data protection officer, and it's a shout out to the to the data protection officers and compliance guys that work in data protection because it's it's a it's a very very big job and it's an important job. But the point is, this this has got to be a wider community conversation, which engages everybody. So I think if your starting point is you understand why it matters, the detail and the complexity that that necessarily comes with it at certain points, if you're working with data protection, just becomes more understandable, more accessible to you, and you, you bulk less at it. Um so yeah, that that's that's why it needs to be inclusive. But I did want to a uh, specific shout out to the, the DPOs who we've got some fantastic ones on, on in the Bailiwick, and I think they don't get enough mm-hmm. of a shout out, um, because they often don't get thanked very much and they, they beaver away in the background trying to get this thing right. Um and we're very grateful for that
0: mm-hmm. too. And to any of them listening, please join be part of Bijou because it's ongoing, isn't it? We you know, this hasn't it's not just the thing a thing that's done. Or something, it's the start, it? yeah. 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 So Um, more voices are welcome to contribute to the existing that we have. And the list of contributors for
1: Bijou is, it just takes me to a happy place. It really does. Cause we've just got such an array of voices from those that do it at the coalface. They really, you know, their, their sleeves are up and they're, they're dealing with this every single day. Um, uh, right through to, you know, the thought leaders in, in this space. So I'd encourage anyone to have a little dip, dip in and see. But it's been, it's been such an honor and a privilege to, to have people interested. I and mean, because the concept is not, we're not dealing with, you know, complex, interpretation of law we're just saying can we start a conversation which is respectful which is equal uh, to you all as a community to try and get better engagement better awareness to protect everybody a bit better
0: Mm. and I think also pass it on isn't it so don't think it's just for you Bijou isn't just for the DPOs out there Um, so encourage other team members encourage the MDs of organisations just pick one have a listen you know watch a video and I you know they are fascinating they just are really inspiring they're inspiring they really are and as you've said we have international leaders in the field.
1: I mean if anything this is you know Bijou it's fabulous we've got some DPOs involved um, but it's it's not the DPOs that we're really wanting to we want them to be involved, and of course, continue to be involved uh, going forward. But it's it's much more the message to get to those who, at the minute, maybe don't feel that it affects them or matters to them in any way, shape, or form, or is something that's completely unfathomable and inaccessible. That's who we really need to get at, because that's where momentum uh, can build, uh, and that's where change can happen.
2: And, and and I guess one of the one of the other nice things about Vision, because it's a, just a, a, a collective of stories by a variety of different people, just pick one and listen to it and see where it takes you. Because it's, it's a really wonderful, eclectic bunch of people, isn't it? So it's, uh, yeah, brilliant. And, and hopefully it's the start of something. We want to see it grow. And we've got plans here, I think, to, to expand it in a variety of different directions. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with it. But, but we want the public to listen to it as well as the DPOs. The DPOs are kind of already with us. But, uh, but how do you get that message to reach a broader audience so so encourage people to listen please mm-hmm.
0: yeah this is just the start <laughs> yeah well emma and tim thank you very much um obviously this is i always enjoy discussing these things with you both and everything you say is so inspiring and interesting so again thank you and to everybody listening please do go and look online listen to some of the podcasts watch some of the videos read some of the blogs there is such a lot of content don't be daunted by the amount there, just as Tim says, just pick one, just make a start and please share and pass on the word. And of course, you'll find all the Bijou content on our website at odpa.gg bijou, that's spelled B-I-J-O-U. So thanks for listening and goodbye.